You're beginning to. I ain't good at my alcohol. <laughs> Nobody else. They can do that to anybody else in the world. It was you guys. <laughs> Pack them in. Okay, now give us some money. What the hell? Jesus. <laughs> if they did it to normies, they'd lynch them. They'd drop you know. That, and, you know, all our lives, we'd never do anything anybody told us to do. Huh? Just the fear of dying is going to keep doing it now, right? <laughs> Nobody else would. Oh, you're wonderful. I'm very glad to be here. Right up to this moment, I've had a wonderful time at this. <laughs> we'll see how it goes from now on. I, I really enjoyed Garth last night. Uh, brought him all the way here from Winnipeg. They talk funny, don't they? Uh he got 23 years of sobriety. When he gets 25 years, you're going to let him wear a tie. I, uh, I promised I wouldn't tell he used notes. Oh, excuse me, Garth. <laughs> oh, he's an old pal. I lied. Uh, I really got a lot out of his talk, and I really enjoyed Gil today. I, I had never heard Gil before, and he was, he was wonderful. He really... Told me a lot about me. I really like the part where he was talking about if they had a vaccine for for alcoholism, who in the hell would take it? You know. Uh, I know when I was doing, they used to tell me I had an allergy. I could hardly keep a straight face when I was a loser. Uh, my old pal, loser Al, here tonight. Uh, God, we were beautiful. Uh, what a pair we were. But they used to tell me I had an allergy, and I used to just say, "Oh, thank you." <coughs> I have real allergies. What is this nonsense? I have an allergy to the damn sun. But that's an allergy, I'll tell you. Because, you know, if I go out in the sun, things grow on me. And this guy just filled a swimming pool just burning shit off me. You know. And it hurts. So I don't go in the sun. I don't need a sponsor not to go in the sun. I've got... I just don't go in the sun. You know. Now, unfortunately for me, I love to surf. I'm the oldest surfer on the Pacific Coast. Not good, but old. You know? Ah, oh, the kids love me down there. They say, help the old guy back next board. Come on, Mr. Roach. Let's go. And I just love to surf. You may say I am obsessed with surfing. What I do is I get up at, before dawn. I get in the water when the sun's just coming up, you know, and I surf. When the sun starts getting warm, I get out and go home. I control my surfing. I don't need any stupid steps for that either. You know, when that weird woman you heard this afternoon gets on me, you know, I don't run out in the yard and say, "Take that, take that," you know. There you go. I just call my sponsor and say, "You know, she can't So I don't know. I just this allergy nonsense. But I remember one night we were having fish up in L.A. and Al was. Al can eat fish, Whew, boy, and he finished his seventeenth plate. One of the all you can eat, you know, and they're standing around going, you know. And Al said somebody's obsessed with fish, and one of the other guys thought he'd be cute, and he says, "Well, you can't get a five o two eating fish." <laughs> and Al didn't he pause. He says, "Never helped me dance either." Hmm? 
When you have that kind of an allergic reaction, see what I mean? Can you imagine go to the doctor and say, don't eat peaches, Cliff? Because if you eat peaches, you'll be the greatest lover the world has ever known and the toughest guy that ever lived. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> Maybe out of peaches in that market, I'll guarantee you. I just couldn't identify with that. You know, and besides, you know, and Gil was talking today about he had that uh, three stages of drinking, fun drinking, fun and trouble drinking. I've forgotten what the last one was. I dozed off, Gil. I'm sorry. I just, uh, but I don't know. I don't know if Gil's a real alcoholic because he didn't say fern right. He said it like an Alano. Fern. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had lots of fun last night, didn't we, Cliff? You and I, we have fun. You know, don't quick the world they know exactly what you mean. You know, fun. I said in an AA meeting, their goddamn eyes glaze over and they go, ah, 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 you know. Oh, you know what I mean. Get the crap out of you and go to jail. Fun. You know. Finding your car at the bottom of a ravine in the morning. Huh? With you in it. Fun! Oh, I could not resist. Fun! Oh, I just like that damn dog in the call of the wild. You know, I just could not resist. And I have one of those days where the boss has been out to get me and got me. <laughs> and I owed a billion dollars. And I was married to her. Huh? And I had those dope fiend children. And everything was wrong. And old Al would come by and say, Come on, Cliff. Let's go have some fun. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, I almost died of that fun. And I know about fun and trouble, too, you know. Because I, I never had the just fun period. I always, from the first day, I had fun and trouble. Uh, first time I ever drank, I was 15 years old. I was five, uh, four foot eleven, weighed 89 pounds. Twelve pounds of that was temples. And I, and I was going to this high school dance, and this other little weenie and I gagged down this half a pint of booze. And I, damn pimples went, <laughs> and I grew a lot, and I went to that high school dance, and I had, fun. oh, I had a good time that night. There were only two girls in the school I could dance with, see, that were small enough. But that night I danced with all of them. You know, come on, baby, let's go. Let's go. I didn't care where my face was, boy. I just got out there, and away I went. I'll guarantee you, boy. Oh, I had a good time. And the second time I drank was like three weeks later. I thought if that quarter of a pint of ten high would do it for me, that fifth of port wine would be even better. And it was. <laughs> and I had a blackout. Uh... And I woke up the next day, and they tell me, 
much of my life is hearsay from now on. Until uh, I married her, and then it became hearsay. Uh, you know, she gets up and tells these lies about me this afternoon, and I can't say a word because I don't remember any of that crap. I just have to take her word for it. Oh, yeah, well, a, and, uh, and that night, these guys told me the next day that I had, uh, we were out at this, by Kern River near Bakersfield there, and, uh, and uh, I tried to whip every guy out there by this river, and they'd all beat hell out of me. And I tried a couple of the smaller girls, and they whipped me too. You know? And I tried a deputy sheriff, and I went to jail, and I was 15 years old. And I woke up, at least they put me in a cell by myself, and I woke up in jail in the morning, sick, oh, sick, sick, And the guy was rattling the bars, and I thought, oh, I'll never do that again. And I never did. I never drank port wine again as long as I lived. And uh, that's pretty much my drunk log. <laughs> You know, lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of times, man, I had fun. Oh, I loved to drink. I liked it or just get out and get among them. I loved singing. I loved dancing. I loved fighting. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm no good at that. But I was raised, as Pat said this afternoon, in this Irish Catholic family. Oh, really? Yeah. One for us, you'd be having this thing in a phone booth, you know. Uh, and the men in my family, like in many Irish families, are, you know, they're rough and tough and hard to bluff, and they love to fight, and they're good at it. And my old man was a professional fighter, a leading contender for the middleweight championship of the world. My Uncle Jack used to clean out saloons as a hobby, you know. You know. And I had this back problem, a big yellow streak down the middle of it, and... Uh, but I found that if I could have enough to drink, if I could get enough booze in me, I could be brave. And I always thought brave and tough meant the same thing. <laughs> That's the second step. That's insanity. See, because about the time I'd get enough booze in me to be brave, I'd lose my muscle coordination. I became one of the great beating takers of all time. I would take legendary beatings. And I was proud of them. And I had trouble with the second step when I got here, you know. I, you know, that night, that first night, I drank that booze and I was at that dance. That's the first time I remember doing this. Remember that? Hey, watch where you go. I bruised several guys' knees that night, you know. You know, lots of times I had all that fun. Then I have those blackouts. I just hated blackouts. I never wanted to have a blackout. I was just going to have a couple of nips. <laughs> Where's Jack? <laughs> a couple of nips. I haven't heard that since my dad died. Uh, so I'd have a couple of nips, and then I'd have a couple more nips, and then the nips would get me. And uh, I'd wake up. One time I woke up in Long Beach. That's one of my fondest memories. Uh, four other guys were going down from Bakersfield down to Long Beach one weekend to have fun. And uh, I woke up in this flea bag hotel in the morning, and I thought I was blind. I had bled face down on this pillow all night, see, and it dried. So when I come up, the pillow came with me, see. And I smothered in there, you know, Jesus, I was in a panic. 
So this other guy and I, there was a sink in the corner, we threw water on it, so I'm a girl, man, you know. I finally got it kind of wet, you know, peel it off, and there's a mirror on this dresser, I'll never forget, I said, put the pillow back. Oh, that looked like Quasimodo. I'll never forget the guys I was with, though, they said, you were great, Roach. They said, you got up 19 times. That's the kind of friends I had my whole life, you know. You know, and that's, that, that was my pattern of drinking. That's the way I drank. And uh, I never understood when I was 15 and I swallowed that 10 high and it hit bottom. As Clancy said, went boom. Uh, I crossed the line into alcoholism. I had never been a social drinker. I don't know what they are, really. Uh, I'm married to one. She and Sarah over there. I was with them one time driving Pat up to, to talk somewhere on five Alanons and me. Uh, look at a tip when I talk about that. Uh, and we stopped for dinner. huh? And the waiter comes over and says, uh, Would you like a cocktail before dinner? You should have watched that. It was decision time. Uh, do you want one? Well, I don't care. I'll have one if you have one. How about you? Do you want one? I don't know. What the hell is going on here? Do you ever have to make a decision? <laughs> the guy throws the towel like, let's go, let's go, three right here. Well, somebody asked this one down here. She says, uh, uh, do you have some clock back, Reed? And, and this waiter says, uh, no, we don't have any loads. She said, well, never mind. No, I don't let that go by. I said, now, Sarah, we look behind the goddamn bar. I got this 500 miles back there. What the heck did we kill it? Remember that? She's doing it. <laughs> don't you think you had a few too many? I should say, no, you had a few too few. <laughs> uh. Then. So anyway, I met Pat when we were in college. If any of you were here this afternoon, a lot of you were here this afternoon. And uh, uh, we fell in love and entered this 20-year suicide pact. And... Uh, And we had a dual disease. We had alcoholism and Catholicism. <laughs> and we had a kid every nine months and 20 minutes. Seemed like to me. I don't know. Seemed like every time I came out of a blackout. <laughs> Who in the hell is that? Yeah. They're all right when they're little like kittens, but they grow up. Yeah. And they did. As Pat was saying this afternoon, they got weirder and weirder as they got older I got weirder and weirder. She got older. She got weirder and weirder. Oh, I was really keen, you know. But my pattern always did that I was always having a hell of a good time or I was in the blackout. I never had a good blackout. I've looked around in AA now for about the past seven, eight years trying to find somebody who had a good blackout. Nobody's volunteered yet, you know. I never woke up in the morning and found I'd helped the little sisters of the poor all night or some goddamn thing like that. 
Well, when I woke up, there's wrecked cars and blood. My blood and, uh, and, you know, just disasters everywhere. And I thought, I'll never do that again, you know. And that was just the pattern of my drinking and on and on. And well, after a few years, I became a school teacher. <laughs> Now, this is a guy who bites bartenders in the face. He becomes a school teacher, huh? Where I drank, the bartenders were clipped high, so I couldn't get them over there and get them, you know. And boy, I became paranoid about those blackouts then. I mean, I really became, you know, I because they have a tendency to call you up to Sacramento and ask for your license back when, you know, the kind of things I do in blackouts. So... I, I really actually kind of postponed blackouts. I didn't have as many blackouts the last years as I did in my youth. Because I was so, you know, but of course it'll surprise nobody in this room to know that my drinking progressed. I mean, alcohol became more and more part of the loose of my life. I could not live without alcohol. It, well, I had to drink every day in order to survive. And I was sure of that. And I knew that to be true. And so... It wasn't, no, you know, never mind the party or anything like that. Alcohol became necessary to me. And uh, I go, but it didn't interfere with my teaching. I became, it's not a contradiction, a very successful school teacher down there at Oceanside High. And uh, in 1965, a buddy of mine and I, he's on, took him 10 years that he got to the program finally. Uh, how many years did it take you, Al? Never mind. Uh, but this buddy of mine and I, we had this brilliant idea of having this surfboard shop and down at the beach in the summer. We'd make a million dollars and we wouldn't have to school teach anymore. And uh, we had, uh, the first three years, I caught a Manteca. <laughs> uh, you have to drink a Manteca. That's all there is to it. Uh, but, you know, when I moved to Oceanside by the beautiful sea, well, you'd think it would, wouldn't need to drink as much there. But anyway, we got this brilliant idea of having this surfboard shop where we wouldn't have to be school teachers anymore. So we did. A guy donated us this building right on the beach. I mean, sitting there at the end of the strand, the building had been abandoned, so we painted it and picked it up, put windows in it, and got a refrigerator. <laughs> uh, and three or four months later, we got some surfboards. Uh, no big hurry, you know. Oh, Woody and I, we love that place. Oh. That was our home away from home, I'll tell you. We had these two chaise lounge chairs out there in the evenings. We became sunset connoisseurs. We used to measure sunsets by martinis. And I said, about a seven tonight, Woody. <laughs> the best one we had was a 15 martini sunset. It was gorgeous. You know? and, and the sun and Woody and I went right together. They found us in the morning with sunburned mouths. Remember that? I think that ought to be on the 20 questions. If you never had a sunburned mouth, you can't come in here. No. And, uh, but we did real well with that surfboard shop in spite of ourselves. But in the course of winter came and nobody wanted to rent surfboards and blah, 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 blah. And in, uh, in February of 1965, I went down on a Sunday morning cold, freezing morning, went down to fix a surfboard at the shop. I was not a morning drinker in 1965. As far as I know, I was a pretty much a weekend drinker. Well, Thursday and Tuesday, but a weekend drinker. Well, isn't that what a weekend drinker is? Uh, and I'm in there sanding this board, and I got the resin cooking over there, and I got thirsty, and I thought there'd be a Coke in the refrigerator, and I opened the refrigerator, 
And what was in there was Woody had been there the night before, and he left about this much vodka, just about a drink, in this bottle. And there was some orange juice in the refrigerator. I thought, you know, a screwdriver tastes nice. And so I, there was only enough for the one. I drank the screwdriver, and I went on about my business, and I'm standing and working away there. And I tell this, in case there's some new people here, my sponsor used to call me to these things. And, you know what we're going to do this weekend? No, what? We're going to go to a roundup. Get along, little doggies, you know? So if you've got drag here, you know, at least you'll hear this story. Newcomers like this story. After about 20 minutes, my mind talked to me. Newcomers say, how do you know? God damn. My mind still talks to me today, but I'll listen. <laughs> I have met the enemy. He lives here. The only enemy I have in the world lives right in there. I, I envy schizophrenics, don't you? There's only two of them. Two guys, you could just have a nice conversation, or one of them could say, shut up, you know. But when you got all of them all talking at once, you know. But boy, I remember that voice that morning. My head said, Cliff, that was a filthy trick. You finished Woody's booze off like that. Damn it, man. <laughs> you guys are way ahead of me. Why don't you go up and get him a pint? No, the hell of a guy. That afternoon, I got him a fifth. And I ended up, you know, just bore I drunk, my dad used to say. Just resin all over me. The board was screwed forever. The shot was a mess, you know. And I couldn't walk, and I lurched home. And I told my wife, i got to do something about my drinking. I'm getting drunk when I don't even mean to. And she had cut this little thing out of the paper. About, if you want to drink, it's your business, you know. I don't know why she thought to do that. And, uh, and I called AA. The only time I ever called AA with a pure motive was that time. I just wanted to do something about my drinking. The next day, old Stan came out and got me. Took me to AA meeting there in 1965. And uh, I'd like to skip this part, but <laughs> I can't do that. Uh, I didn't like AA. See, my problem has never really been alcoholism. Sensitivity. That's my problem. Just too sensitive. One time I had to have that surgically removed. I couldn't get it off, you know. Uh, and the people in AA did not seem to be sensitive to me. Uh, they're a bunch of clods, you know. Well, I was a great whiner and sniveler. And I'd go to a little discussion meeting. There weren't very many meetings in, in Oceanside, Carlsbad, Saturday And I'd whine and snivel away. And these guys would tell me that I was whining and sniveling. Well, that ticked me off. So I would cut them off. I wouldn't go to that meeting anymore. I'd punish them. <laughs> like all neurotics, I'd punish them with my absence, you know. I don't be careful today. I still do that kind of thing. Huh? Well, after a while, I ran out of meetings. I punished all of them, you know. But except the speaker meeting there in Oceanside on Sunday night, 6.30. I went to that every other week, whether I needed it or not. You know. And I would wait until that meeting was about to start, and I'd slip in that back door and sit down. And as soon as they said, Amen, out the door, I would go. Uh, they had a sign. Remember that? And I said, We care. Oh, that used to really tick me I, I waited like 20 seconds after the meeting one night. Nobody threw their arms around me. The phonies. It was... The big, the big show in 1965 was laugh And I had the most insane desire in those meetings to just leap up in the middle of the meeting and say, 
Remember that sound? Oh, God, I want to do that. Oh, they were boring. Oh, once in a while they have a really good speech. You know, some guy had nine nut houses and twelve prisons and murdered his own mother with her braids, you know, and, uh, you know, all those things to give you a stature on the program. Uh, I like those guys. They were really entertaining, you know. But it seemed to me like everybody else's name was Clem. His wife's name was Martha. And they'd just been out of the bib overalls about an hour and a half, you know. And old Clem and Martha had been good, decent, sincere, worthwhile folk their whole lives. But they had drunk too much. And after they drunk too much for a few years, it really started interfering with their lives. So they'd come here to the A&A. And return to being good, decent, worthwhile folk again. They had been rehabilitated. See, you know, my hero in 1965 was a guy named Eldridge Cleaver. He was a black militant terrorist. See? That's my politics in 1965. Blow it up or burn it down. I didn't give a shit with, you know. Yeah. I was for peace. And if you weren't for peace, I'd kill you. Well, a peace medal makes a hell of a, a weapon. What? You know, big chain on that sucker, you know. And I'd go down to hear Eldridge give one of his famous talks down in San Diego. And he was talking about the prison system in California. Just a couple of months before I came to AA. And he was talking about how they're always trying to rehabilitate him. He says, you know what they've never known? He had never been rehabilitated. You don't rehabilitate somebody who's never been rehabilitated. That's how I felt in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, I don't know what kind of drunk you were, but I have always been crazy. I was crazy long before I... I can remember a little bit and snatches of my life when I was four years old. We lived on a speedway in Venice, California, and I was in a little short pants, my little tricycle was there, and I was standing there and these cars were going by, and I was going... I didn't know how to do this yet, see? The best I could do was do this, you know. And that's how I felt my whole life. I was angry my whole life, and I was afraid my whole life. And I manipulated people, and I, I was a rotten person. But of course, I had to be. See? And when you... All my life, I've tried to tell people how I felt. I was sober about three years, and I was reading Ernest Hemingway's book. About three o'clock in the morning, I'm reading The Movable Feast. And he described this guy in the book. And I got to that page, he said he had the eyes of an unsuccessful rapist. <laughs> there it is, I said, you know. I want to tell you something. If you feel like that, drinking helps. And they wanted, you know, in my drinking, I don't know about yours, no matter how bad my drinking was, after I drank about 40 minutes, I had eight minutes that were glorious. Even that last couple of rotten years. 
I had eight minutes where it was just I wasn't angry and I wasn't afraid and every muscle in my body was relaxed and I loved God and I loved the world and everything was swell. Right after that, you know. But see, in my life, if you would have walked up to me in the street and said, what's serenity? I would have said, it's eight minutes, 40 minutes into my drinking. That's only serenity. And they wanted me to give that up to hang around with Clement Martha. So I quit AA. No one noticed, but I quit AA. You know. Al had quit a couple years, and then we and Al and I leapfrogged for years. He had ten years of slipping, and I only had five. But uh, mine was quality slipping. But I, I got to where I'd come to AA when the heat was on. Then I started being a real sincere AA. You know, when I was going to, they were going to throw me out or close them, whatever. I would go. I'm going to AA. One time I came for 40 days, and I was drunk for a year and a half. And then one time I came for 30 days, and I was drunk for a couple of years. Uh, my favorite time, I came in the afternoon one time, about 4 o'clock. Went to the old club there, and these four guys quadriceped me all afternoon. There have been quadriceps, they get on four sides, you just... And geez, I just levitated out of the building. I never had it so good at that time. You know? And I went over to my buddy Big John's house. I said, John, we're alcoholics and we have to go to AA. <laughs> Big John says, okay. John had drunk three weeks too long then, you know. So I led Big John to the meeting that night and became his sponsor. And the next day we both got drunk. On and on and on and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, when... Garp was talking about last night. You were talking about, you know, you take a drink and then you just go. My sponsor's that way. My sponsor can drink or he can live. Like work and things like that. You know, I mean, when my sponsor would take a beer at lunchtime, you wouldn't see him for three or four years. You know, he can drink. That's all he can do. I'm a functioning alcoholic. A lot of us die because we function. I couldn't be an alcoholic. Look at all I'm doing. One of the lies my old man told me and by the way, my mother and father were both alcoholics, so I guess I'm the adult, adult child of alcoholics. <laughs> I've always said everybody's the adult child of somebody, for Christ's sake, you know. We got a guy down in our group that is the adult child of a Baptist. Oh! Oh! You, you can't even make love standing up and say, you're dancing! Put that! Put that! You know. Few years of the adult children of Amway dealers. <laughs> just compulsively draw circles their whole lives. <laughs> One of the lies my old man told me that I remembered my whole life was you can't be an alcoholic if you eat breakfast and go to work. He never said a word about puking breakfast up. <laughs> well, every morning I would eat it, off I go, you know. And I'm the kind of a drunk that has to do ten times more to you to prove I'm half as good. I don't know if anybody identifies that. I'm a working fool. You know, I've said it's done. I'll do work that isn't, nobody asked me to do. I'll do your work. Get it here. God damn it, you know. i got to, you know, I can't be an alcoholic. Look at me. I'm just functioning. And uh, that's the way I live. You know, just right on the edge, just going. 
The principal, four or five years before I quit drinking, a principal called me in one day. Among other things, I teach speech. <laughs> uh, you never guessed that, would you? Uh, and he called me in and he said, Cliff, uh, he said, I've got this flyer here. They got, they're having a debate and speech tournament down at San Diego State College. Now, San Diego's just 30 miles south of us, you know, 20 minutes by freeway. And uh, he said, they're having this, uh, well, that's the way I drive anyway. Charlie's making it in about two minutes and 40 seconds. No hands. Oh, shit. you ever come up with Robin Rose, Rose, the guy drives with no hands? <laughs> uh, but anyway, he, he had this flyer, see? And he said, boy, debate and, and, and competitive speeches, I bet you that'd be really good for your students. Why don't you go down there and see if that's something they'd like? So, well, he's the boss. So I found like six or eight kids, and I didn't know much about it. I trained them a little bit from what I knew. And we went down to this tournament, and we were amazed when we got there. Uh, these speech tournaments are big deals. I mean, there were like 50 schools who were participating in this tournament, and like 500 contestants. They all had three-piece suits and ties on. We were in Levi's. What the hell we know, you know? And we got annihilated. I mean, we got... We didn't win around. Now, I don't kind of drunk you are, but I don't like to lose. Checks me off to lose. So I'm steamed already, and I go into coach's room, and they all know each other. You know how we love that? About 20 of them, they're all pals. And they snubbed me. It seemed to me, anyway. So I hung around all day so they could snub me longer. You know how we are. And one guy really pissed me off. He had a lot of hair. That bothered me right away. Uh, uh, oh, no, it was one of those gray names, you know, not a hair out of place. Just, ooh, just gorgeous. Steel gray. Had about a $700 suit on. The other coaches did this when they went in front of him. And uh, kind of the Bruce of... <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, all of a sudden, about two in the afternoon, this clown turns to me, and he said, where are you from? And God, I was grateful to be spoken to. I said, Oceanside. He said, oh, where's that? 30 miles up the country. Sucker gave me a resentment. I mean, I don't mean a resentment. I mean a resentment. I don't think a day went by in the next four or five years where I didn't think of that sucker. I went back to the high school. I went through the IQ files of the school. I found the 50 smartest kids in the school. I stopped the kid and I'll say, you're a debater. He said, I don't want to debate. I didn't ask you that. Get your butt in the room. And they went. Other teachers went home at 4, 4.30. I'm there 9.30, 10 o'clock. Every night. Every night. Two kids every half hour. They're screaming and ranting and raving, cursing, yelling, cursing. Some reporter wanted to ask this kid of mine, what he said, what's the secret of your coach's success? The kid said, terror. <laughs> and he wasn't lying. Hey, do you know how much work that is? Oh, man, that'll get you tense when you do that. That makes the nerves hang out the ends of your fingers about this far, you know. Your goddamn brain gets too big for your head and you're just a stranger. You got to drink when you do that. But I don't touch it all day. I don't know what kind of drunk you are, but I don't have to drink all day. Especially if I don't eat. You don't eat, and you don't do it, you just wait. And then and you, half a pint lying in the glove compartment all day. You know, whatever thrifty had in the basket that week. That was there, you know. Warm vodka, right? 
All of us went out on warm vodka or wine. And that bottle was just lighter in that glove compartment all day. I said, go get them, Smith, baby. I'm waiting, darling. <laughs> I'd finish with that last kidney evening, you know, and I'd get out and get in that car and I'd smoke those big cigars in those days and I'd light that cigar and I'd open up that cheap vodka. And I'd just always drink half of it. Just... <laughs> God, is there anything in the world like that cheap vodka? This greasy stuff just slides down there and does its magic. I don't know, but it made me well. It put me back that jet, nerves go back up in the fingers. All the muscles go on. I'd sit there in the garden while that booze went to work for me. You took all the psychiatrists in the end around the world. Couldn't do me one-tenth the good of a quarter of a pint of warm vodka. And I'd smoke that cigar and I'd say, God damn, you're a good coach. <laughs> then I hide the bottle. I guess I thought they were going to fingerprint it in the morning or something. I don't know. Then I'd sit there and I'd finish that cigar and I'd sit there in the darkness of that car and smoke that cigar. And think about that gray-haired son of a bitch down in San Diego. <laughs> Never a day went by where I didn't give him a few minutes. And then I'd go home and get drunk. And Pat talked about our house today. A lot of you weren't there. It was an insane insight. We had these three kids in high school at the time, you know, in the late 60s. Oldest son was working his way through high school as a hashish salesman. Had a hair down on his butt, you know. Called his mother man. Hey, man, what's the dinner? <laughs> Put that goddamn LSD. They're strange, those guys, you know. You'd be right in the middle of the sentence, you'd see those lights. You'd say, what was that? I'd say, I don't know. What the hell was that? What was it? <laughs> and uh, my joint and mother-in-law live with say, I'll explain it. And we're all crazy. We're just all crazy. But see, we attracted other crazy people. I don't know what your house was like. One time Jack Parr said, it's like they tipped the world and everything loose rolled to Southern California. And it was like you tipped Southern California and everything loose rolled to my house. You know? All strange people. A lot of people, I didn't know what they were doing there. You know? They didn't know what I was doing there either. Oh, just this nut house. It was crazy. And they were, we were all sick, 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 sick people. But I built that speech team. And in a couple of years, we won one of those speech tournaments. But I understand anything to the gray-haired guy. It wasn't time yet. I know when it's time. The next year, I think there were 12 or 13 tournaments. I can't remember which, but my team won all 12. But I can wait. I think revenge is better than Christmas, don't you? <laughs> mm. The next year there was a tournament. There were 25 schools in this tournament competing. My team scored more sweepstakes points, this is the way they figure these things, more points than the other 24 schools combined. Then I went up to that gray-haired Cretan and I put my nose right against his and I said, 
Do you know where Oceanside is now? And he just went blank. He said, what are you talking about? I said, don't you remember about four years ago? <laughs> you said to me, Oceanside, where's that? And he said, we just moved here from Nebraska. I didn't know where it was. That's the story of my life. I could have just told you that goddamn story and took care of it, you know? Four years, this guy's in his bed in San Diego every night. And I'm up in Oceanside, get you, son of a bitch! He didn't have the foggiest idea! Now he's just going through life, la 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 He had no idea the vodka I drank at him. And you know, my anger will do the same thing for me today. You know, that I always thought Cliff was here and the universe went around. And sometimes he didn't do it right. So I got mad. Oh, I'm still on the freeway. I'm still that way. You see that son of a... He came over... And she said, they all got up this morning. said, let's go out in the freeway and get Cliff. It's terrible when people are cruel and accurate, you know? That's an awful gift. Elanon gives you that. <laughs> anyway, right after that, if you're here in her path today, we had one of our main events, and the neighbors have come to miss so much. And uh, I threatened again to move out. Everybody said, yeah, go for it, Woo! And so I moved out down to the beach where I wanted to live anyway. And I knew that I had unloaded that shrew and those doping children. I could drink like a gentleman again. And it didn't work out that way. You'd be surprised to find out that story. I was drunk all the time. I said, God, my life was going down on Tuesday. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. One afternoon, I came out of school and I hadn't had a drink. And I went by the house to harangue Pat about money, I think. And my son Dave, the hashy salesman, was kind of bobbing in the background there. And uh, I did something really stupid. Dave, and I said, Dave, what's it like not to have your old man around the house? And he looked me right in the eye and he said, it's beautiful. And I told you, I'm sensitive. You hurt my feelings. And I went back to that dump on the beach and I ran and raved and screamed and hollered. But I did not take a drink that afternoon. And I think that's significant. It's been a long time since I hadn't drank that afternoon, you know. And I went out and sat on the screen porch, and I watched the ocean the rest of that afternoon and into the evening. And it was winter, so the sun went down very early. It was the most beautiful sunset I have ever seen in my life. One of those with the sky and the water and the wet sand are all that magenta color. And I sat there, and that's about the time that the sun went down into the water. I had what I assume you had, or you wouldn't be here with me tonight. I had that... Moment of clarity that our book talks about. I just saw Cliff. And I saw what I had become. You know, I told you earlier, I never liked myself my whole life. I despised myself my whole life. 
But I had had maybe three things about myself that I had had respect for. And it came to me that evening that I had traded those three things or four things, whatever they were, for the privilege of drinking alcohol. And I didn't like what was left. The only thing left that clicked was the animal. And uh, I went in the bedroom and I had this old sea bag. I dug through there and I got out the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I had thrown in there when I moved. I had read it on one of my travels through the program. And being an English teacher, I thought it was poorly written. I read a lot better this time. <laughs> and I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous for three days and three nights. I slept a little bit. I ate some. called in sick. Didn't go to work. I just read the big book, all the stories, cover to cover. I especially love the story of the professor and the paradox. It was in the second edition, uh, another egotistical school teacher. And uh, on the third time through the book, it was three o'clock in the morning, on the 13th of January, 1970, and I came to page 63 again, and I came to that prayer on page 63, which is step three. And in my befuddled, confused state, it just seemed like it would be a good idea if I would just kneel down on that filthy, dumped linoleum floor on that joint of the beach, if I would just read that prayer out loud to myself. And that's what I did. I read, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self. And I had a spiritual awakening. I had a kind of quiet knowledge that I was going to be alright that I wouldn't charge my life anymore I've only met two or three other people that uh, had that kind of a character it was nothing like Wilson I had no wind up my yin yang or anything like that I, you know I just knew I was going to be alright you know I've been in charge of my life for 44 years and I had screwed it up I've been in charge of your life for 44 years I've been in charge of the universe for 44 years and I couldn't do it anymore and I just turned it over to this power that I've come to love and call God and I'll call some others. I call this power God because, you know, you seem to want to. I, you know, I told you, I was a radical rebel revolutionary my whole life. I'm not a radical revolutionary now, I'll call some I'm a good soldier. I do what I'm told. I, I, I wore ties my whole life. I'm a school teacher. I had to wear these goddamn things. I don't know, I think it's stupid to have to wear a tie when you speak, but my sponsor doesn't. He was a wino, slept under the steps of the hotel. To him, a tie is respect for the program. Since he saved my life, what the hell? <laughs> I'm not a, I, don't, I don't disobey orders anymore. That's what I say. You know, I just march. Don't march. I got rid of all my revolution when I was out there. Thank God. Thank God. And, you know, I don't know anything about God to speak. I know two things about God. And, they, and they're both proven again here tonight. See, my God loves to hear us laugh. That's when I hear God talking to me. Whether I'm up here or whether I'm out there, you know. When I got here, I wasn't laughing a hell of a lot. Were you? The only way I could laugh when I got I slept when I got here. I can't even walk like I used to. You know, I look clumsy. I had the head. I could, I could really do it. Yeah, you know. But the only way I could laugh was like this. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's if you fell down and got hurt. You know, I don't think well, it was three days in the program and I was up in LA and I went, ah, what was that? Oh, didn't it feel good, huh? And when I'm in an AA meeting, you know, some fool's up here, you know, acting up and I'm just rolling back and the tears are rolling down my face. 
Oh, I can hear God. You know, God loves to dance. He knows we cried enough. He knows we hurt enough people when we didn't want to hurt people and we kept hurting them over and over and over. He knows we cried all our lives. He loves to hear us laugh. I know that. And the other thing I know about God is that He's an alcoholic to I know that. Because, see, I can see right down here. And if you're new, this is going to be corny. I used to be slick, remember, but I'm corny now. I live longer than better that way. See, I can see the eyes down here. I see God in the eyes of the sober members of Alcoholics Anonymous every day of my life. I see God at work. I don't mean I think I see God. I see God shining back at me and in my own face in the glass. See, I'm a good 12-stepper. I like to go to a dirty, filthy place and find a dirty, filthy man. You know what I do when I get there? The first thing I do is I get down and look in his eyes. You know what I see? I see what my life eyes looked like when I was four years old. I saw what my eyes looked like my whole life. Lack of power was my dilemma. I like the looks in my eyes today. And I like taking those guys to a meeting, get them cleaned up, get them to a meeting, you know, go to a coffee shop after the meeting, look across the table, and lots and lots and lots of kinds of powers in his eyes that night. And I know guys sober almost 18 years, 16 and 15 and 12 and 9 and 3 months. And I got to see the light come on in her eyes. And I can't live without that. That's the power of God in my life. And I'm going to tell you something. I see that same God in the eyes of the working members of Al-Anon too. I'm not talking about somebody who's married to an alcoholic. I'm talking about somebody who lives the Al-Anon program. I see that same God looking back. I see it in that lady's eyes. And I, you know, I don't get very far away from it because that's my source of spiritual help. You know, I hear people say, you know, I don't understand the spiritual part of this program, so go get one. Go get one and watch the light come on. I sponsor a guy who was a dope dealer, a murderer, and I went and got a land, he had a gun in his boot and a knife in this one. I was nice to him, I'll tell you. <laughs> I opened the door for you, Randy. <laughs> And he has, no, he has these ice blue eyes, you know, those kind of real light blue. And down in the middle, there was this red skull and crossbones going. <laughs> Complete, insane, killer eyes. He's sober going on six years now. Now he's a contractor. He comes over a couple of months ago, he's and moaning because the bank wasn't fast enough with the $300,000 loan. If you're talking to me, the only reason you ever went in the bank was to stick out, you son of a bitch, you know. Come telling me about $300,000. I'm a school teacher. And then we laughed. You almost got sick laughing, thinking about it. But when he was a year and a half sober, he came over to the house in, a, in an utter panic, completely terrified. He bought a new pickup truck, and he was going out to work as a carpenter. And he had this, one of those big mirrors that pick up truck, and he looked up, and he didn't know whose eyes it was. <laughs> he didn't know his own eyes. He said, well, is that me? Is that me? Said, that's, that's the, the God in the program of Alcohol Shabbat. I love to look in Lanny's eyes today and remember what was there. And then hundreds and hundreds of other guys. Now, if you're new, and you don't believe in the sounds of corny, just do this for me. You just hang around here long enough till somebody you know who's been sober like a year or more, and they drink again. Then you go look in their eyes. 
You know, and if the absence of the power doesn't convince you, I don't know what will. I've seen that happen a lot of times too. I never want to see that look in my eyes again. Uh, anyway, time flies when you're having fun. Uh, speak for yourself, Roach. Uh, I went over to this Bill Blake's house. A lot of people in this room know him. He's a taper. little electrician there in Oceanside, a little rat. And uh, I went knocking on Bill's door. Now, I've got a five-year loser in and out of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean a real arrogant, jerk loser. I always pointed out your deficiencies while I was here. You know, Not as bad as Al, but you know, oh, he was ridiculous. Uh, i got to tell about the time you got drunk because you moved and I didn't know where you were. Uh, Al, dog, he, Al was my ticket to service in Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, if it wasn't for Al, I would have never learned about service. Because when I was new, I had nervous breakdowns. Well, I was married to her. And she hadn't gone to Al-Anon yet, and I had all these kids, you know, and uh, out the window and all this stuff, you know. And I had terrible troubles all with a billion dollars, and I'd go to my closet and I'd say, and he'd listen all the way through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A.A. Dodo Bird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I got all through, he said, why don't you go get Al and take him to the meeting? <laughs> what? What's that got to do with the nervous break? And I said, what time is it? The horse is dead. <laughs> so I'd go get Al. Oh, yeah, to know Al. He's the biggest jerk and loser. Loser! And obnoxious and I'd go get Al. So one time he moved. And I went to his old house and I didn't show up at his new house. He hadn't told me. So he got drunk. He punished me. <laughs> he drunk for six months. Uh, he almost killed me with a punch. You know. So I'd go get Al and I'd drive him to the meeting, listen to his BS all the way. Blah, 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 blah. We'd get the meeting Al and I'd set up the meeting and make the coffee, you know. And we'd sit through the meeting and Al and I would sit down in the chairs and, and we had the real cups in those days. Al had to wash because he was... <laughs> he just had to take the water. <laughs> I could drive. See, I was cool. And, uh, and then I'd drive Al home. And I'd open the door and I'd let Al out. And I'd close the door, and I'd feel better. <laughs> Took me a year and a half to figure that out. But the, I like to tell about the first night in AA, though, because, you know, I was such a loser, and when the door opened, you know, if I had opened that door and seen me standing there and been in meetings listening to my, you know, obnoxious intellectual crap and I probably would have said oh are we back again Luke? you know Margie Bill's wife saw me I've never seen anybody so glad to see me in my whole life I mean the lady just went oh you know how I went you know poured me a cup of coffee she said this is wonderful she said Bill's been crazy lately he's been in such a bag he's had nobody to work with this is so nice and Bill comes home about 10 minutes there and says oh god damn oh but in about a half an hour, I'm thinking, anything I can do to help you full salad, I'll be glad to help any way I can. 
You know, but they weren't lions. You know, they were glad. They were glad for me. They've been praying for me for five years. But they were glad for Bill and Marty because they know the great secret. You can't have Alcoholics Anonymous unless you're willing to give it away. The fun of Alcoholics Anonymous is giving it away. And you can't keep it unless you're willing to give it away. And I learned that the night I got here. Now, the next night, the guy had a blood transfusion with Till of the Hunt, and he became a vicious beast. The next five years, the nicest thing he said to me was, shot. Oh, he was brutal. Thank God. You know, uh, I believe cruelty to newcomers forever. You know? Because if I had found one more person to feel sorry for me, I'd be dead today. I mean, the guy was brutal. These guys nowadays are sober about 20 minutes. They get up, Leroy, and talk. I wasn't allowed to talk in the car. I go, I think nobody gives a shit what you think. You don't know nothing. Shut up. I, I remember when I was, I was, I was a whipper. I never trembled. I just would go, nobody drank coffee around me. Boom, you know. Now, third day I'm in the program, he puts me in the front seat of the car, and it's in Lincoln Continental. Air conditioning, we're going down the freeway. Mm. You know, and I'm starting to settle in a little. And uh, he gets right by the semi. The engine has electric windows. I went, he just loved to watch those newcomers jump. The only other person who was ever cooler than me was when Al finally said, <laughs> he was even worse to you. I used to love it. Like when you're a little kid, you see your brother get a spank and you go. <laughs> that gang of guys that got sober right about a year or so after I did, or the nucleus of, you know, I don't know how many goddamn meetings in the Oceanside Carlsbad area, you know. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is the most fun place I've ever been in my whole life. You just proved that to me again tonight. I mean, when I got here, I thought I'd never have a good time again as long as I live. And I was willing to do that. I really was. I was willing to give up good times forever because I didn't want to live the way I lived anymore. And isn't it funny that I had more fun this weekend than the last five years I drank? (laughs) You know, I had more fun driving up from the airport with that goofy Charlie and those goose from Canada. You know, I had more fun doing that than the last five years I drank. Uh, And if you're new here, you've got to believe me. You just got to hang around along with you, quit twitching, and the fun will start, you know. <laughs> but I have advice. If you go to meetings where they sit around and talk about staying sober, <laughs> you know, unless you like to suffer. You know, uh, there are people in AA that like to suffer. Oh, God, I've been sober a long time, and it hurts so much. <laughs> Jerry Clanky talk about a great tunnel meeting. Oh, I love the first time he did I almost died. He said there's these great tunnel meetings where these six guys sit around a table and stay sober. And sobriety's like this long gray tunnel and you just trudge down that sucker. And every year a trap door opens and a cake comes down. We have a fourth tradition. You have any kind of meeting you want. You can have a great tunnel meeting, but don't wait for Cliff. Unless I'm really desperate. Uh, I heard Clancy talking when I was new, and he, he convinced me about the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then a couple of nights later, I told my sponsor that I was sensitive. Remember I told you I was sensitive? 
He said, no, you are not sensitive. You are an immature son of a bitch. <laughs> it made sense. Well, I told him one time, he was chewing me out, and I, I couldn't think anything else to say. I said, well, I have degrees, you know. No, I got a bunch of degrees. And he said, a thermometer has degrees. You know what? They stick up sometimes. <laughs> I hardly ever mention my degrees to him anymore. Uh, uh, the, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous the hardest things I've ever done in my life. I don't know about you. Each step of Alcoholics Anonymous is the exact opposite of anything I ever was before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. Each step individually is the opposite of anything I ever was. And I was sober a long time before I figured out that each step of Alcoholics Anonymous is the exact opposite of anything I ever wanted to be. See, I wanted to be a macho man. I wanted to be a real man. And isn't it funny, after almost 19 years of working these steps, I'm the best man I ever thought I could be. And I had to change my idea of what a man is. My sponsor's a real man. My, my Al-Anon is sensitive. You know, she sponsors lots and lots and lots of people and has time for all of them and cares about all of them and still can work with abused children and be kind to me on occasion. <laughs> That's sensitive. And you know what I find after all these years of working steps? I have become, to a degree, a little bit sensitive. Little Peggy Martin says it better than anybody I know. She is from Nebraska. She says, alcoholism is the only prison where the locks are on the inside. And I was given 12 steps, 12 keys to let myself out. I locked myself in that prison before I was four years old. I know that. And I don't know why, nor do I care why. I have found a spiritual answer to my life. I believe God will come to anybody in the world who calls out to Him, who needs Him enough. But I believe that God, through Bill Wilson and the early pioneers, created a program so that people like Cliff could stay sober, and much more importantly than that, learn to live in the world comfortably. I live most of my life today comfortably. And I told you what I was like my whole life. You can't do that. Psychiatry will tell you. You cannot get from here from there. Except with a spiritual answer. So if you're new, you're going to have to take my word for it. That a sick nut like me walks around loose in the world most of the time in this skin comfortably. And I will tell you something else. Sometimes I live for like two or three weeks at a time, joyfully. I find a way to screw it up shortly, you know, but... I don't know about you, but it's the first 30 seconds of the morning. If I don't get anything else in Alcoholics Anonymous but that, that's enough. Because I don't know what you were like, but when I first 30 seconds of the morning of my life were terror. When I was four years old and ever after. Of course, I had a heart attack in April, so I'm kind of delighted to wake up any morning now, you know. I'm fine now. That's not funny. Oh, that's not funny. Uh, 
Those kids turned out, you know, Pat talked a lot about the kids today. That she talked about Jan, our middle daughter now. Is, uh, I'm gonna, my birthday is on January 13th and I'll be 19 and hers is on the 7th and she'll be a year. And I'm gonna give her her cake and she's gonna give me mine. Huh? And my youngest son, Chris, uh, has got almost eight months. And, you know, both of them. She's a literature lady. He makes the coffee. He works his butt off. You know, they're both active, involved. He's having trouble with the God thing. But, you know, God's no hurry. You know, you don't have to be in a hurry to find God. He'll find you when he's ready. You know, but they're both active, you know, in the program. They surrendered and they came aboard. Now, the Heshi salesman, he's still doing fine. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's my pal. Uh, a couple of, was it last time? Some before last, I went up to talk in Portland. He lives in Washington, you know. And, uh. He came down and got me, and we did this little river trip that we love to do together, you know, and we share, and, you know, and, and, and he's one of the best friends I have in the world. And uh, he drove me down to Portland to the hotel where I was talking, and he, he gets out and unloads my suitcase. It's 34, big galoot, he gives me a big hug, kisses me on the cheek, says, I love you, Dad. That's the kid that said, it was beautiful not to have you around. See? On my fourth AA birthday, he told Keith Carpenter, my dad has shown me how to live. And that's still the best compliment I've ever had in AA. He meant I was an example to him. And that's all the hell I'll ever be, is an example of the power in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's all you'll ever be. Sometimes we're good examples, and sometimes we're not, you know. But, you know, he gave me that hug and, you know, and gave me that kiss and said that he loved me. And you could call that a fringe benefit if you want to. I call that a miracle. See, that's the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not that I don't drink anymore. The miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous is that I am lovable to my son. That I'm a, I'm a well enough man to where my children can respect and love me when they didn't before. Now, Dave was an agriculture major. We don't ask him what he grows. <laughs> None of our goddamn business, is it, Mom? <laughs> he did his Peace Corps in Columbia. No, he has this, he works on this huge farm up there in Washington. They grow herbal uh, stuff. You know, herbal teas. That's what he said. Yeah, this stuff. You chew the root of this one, Dad. That'll really help you. I can get the hell away from me. Selling drugs. You know. I'm Cliff Roach, and I'm an alcoholic, and that means I can never take another drink again as long as I live. Because if I take another drink, if I take one drink, I have to go back to being the animal I was almost 19 years ago. And I believe that because I've had a dem- I dem- Al demonstrated it and I demonstrated it. And we've seen a lot of people demonstrate it since we stopped demonstrating. I never want to go back to being what I was before. But when I say I'm Cliff Roach, I'm an alcoholic, that means I'm an immature son of a bitch. <laughs> and I need the steps and the sponsor and the people and the meetings, and the program, and the laughter, but especially the steps, so that I can decrease that level of immaturity so that I can learn to live in the world comfortably. And when I say I'm Cliff Roach and I'm an alcoholic, i got a lot bigger meaning than the other two. I mean, I'm a member of the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm proud of that. That's the best thing that ever happened to me in my whole life. I'm grateful for every drink I ever took, every bartender I ever bit. Because it got me here, where I believe a divine power gave me the tools to learn how to live and be happy. 
I have to read these sociologists in my work. Oh, I love sociologists. They're stranger than us. Their favorite word is alienation. You ever read sociologists? They always italicize that word. They never just write it. They say, that's what's wrong with Western civilization. We are alienated from each other. What they're trying to say is that there's no sense of community left anymore in Western civilization. There's no place where a person fits, huh? Every time I read one of those clowns, I used to think, why don't you drink a little more? Uh, you drink as much as I drink. You'll find a place where you fit. The more you belong. I don't know what you were like, but I never fit anywhere I ever was. And I fit everywhere I am in Alcoholics Anonymous. In the Yosemite Valley, I belong in this room. And it doesn't matter if you think so or not. It's in here. I love you. Unconditionally. And I know you love me the same way. Because we have to. <laughs> and now because we want to. I don't know if my nonsense did anybody any good. I didn't come up here to save anybody. I come up here to save this. <laughs> I don't know, except for Al, maybe. I don't think there's anybody in this room that really needs me. But I want to tell you one thing for sure. I sure as hell need you.